Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com, the source of local news in and around Fishers, Indiana. Just go to LarryInFishers.com for the latest and follow me on Twitter at Larry in Fishers. It's city election time in Fishers, and there are four candidates for at-large city council. The top three finishers, when the votes are counted, are elected. Rich Block is a Republican incumbent member of the Fishers City Council with an at-large seat. I spoke with Rich Block at the Ignite Space on the lower level of the Hamilton East Library, downtown Fishers. Now, if you've never experienced what Ignite has to offer, visit the library anytime it is open. Just ask a member of the Ignite Space for a tour. They'll be glad to accommodate. My conversation with Rich Block was recorded midday, Tuesday, October 15th. I'm at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers with Rich Block. Rich is a Republican incumbent city council candidate. He's an at-large member, meeting the entire city uh, votes for all the at-large candidates. There are four candidates, top three candidates on election day, with the most votes are elected to the council. Rich is also the currently um, the uh, president of the Fishers City Council. So, Rich, welcome back. Thank you, Larry. Glad Good to, to be see here. You. Uh, so another uh, another election campaign. So I'll start it off the way I usually start these things off because mayors get a lot of attention. They get a lot of publicity. Members of the council, not quite as much so. So even though you've been around for about five years on the city council, uh, just for for those who maybe are not familiar with you or those who have just moved into the city in the last four years, uh, just tell us about yourself. Talk about Rich Block. Okay. Thank you, Larry. Well, we've lived in Fisher since 1993. We've raised a family of four children. I've been married 35 years, actually, in two weeks. So, Congratulations uh, ahead of time. Thank you. Yeah, no, happy about that. Uh, she, she put up with me for that long, so I I'm feel thankful. that way with my wife, too, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but we have four children. Uh, they were all raised in Fishers, and uh, while three of them now uh, live elsewhere, one in San Francisco, two in Chicago, our youngest daughter is a sophomore at the University of Southern Indiana. Um, our daughter, we adopted from Russia when she was three and a half years old. I'm not sure if I have shared that with you or not. But um, uh, anyway, all the boys are doing well, gainfully employed, which we're thankful for. Um, but I've really been happy to have raised the family in Fishers and even for the, the kids as they now start to sort out their own professional careers. Um, you know, one in particular is considering uh, the possibility of moving back to the Indianapolis area and Fishers is, is on the map. You know, I said, I've told other people that I don't know if he'll end up in Fishers, but I think what's nice is he really uh, likes and appreciates what's happening. And um, again, ultimately, for he or other young professionals, you know, they can sort that out. But I, I think what's neat is it's attractive to them. Well, we'll get into some of that sure. later. But I, I, how does it feel to be an empty nester? My wife and I have had just a little time, maybe a year or two of that. You know, it's wonderful, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done a fair amount of traveling, so I'm thankful for that. My wife still works. She's in healthcare consulting. Um, but uh, between us, we can at least get away when we we have enough flexibility to do that, so we're thankful. 
So you've had uh, actually a f- one full term on the council. You had a year before that for the transition from a town to a city. So you're completing five years on the council. Uh, if you uh, were elected to another term, that would be four more years. What came into your decision to run for another term? Why did you make that decision? Well, you know, it's been interesting because I wasn't sure how long I would run. And, you know, we were talking separately before we got on the air here. But um, I do think this would likely be my last term. And um, I gave some consideration to not running. But, you know, I think ultimately it came down to I I really enjoy working with the mayor. I enjoy working with the council. Um, As you know, my professional career is is commercial real estate. Maybe there are those who uh, uh, see that, you know, as a negative, but yet I I believe it's a positive for my involvement with the council. And um, I've enjoyed seeing, you know, our our downtown transform. You know, it is truly a a place now that – offers a lot of different opportunities from housing to commercials. So it's been exciting. And really, things get done, thankfully, in Fishers, you know, at a you know, relatively uh, quick pace. And there isn't a lot of bureaucracy. You know, yes, we have disagreements at times, but I think it's healthy and, and respectful. Uh, you talk about development. And shortly after becoming a city, Fishers uh, got to work on a t- what's now called the 2040 plan. Most cities call it a comprehensive plan. It's just looking out as to how you want to develop in the future. Uh, you've had some discussions on the council about that, whether you're following it or not, mm-hmm. uh, how well you're following mm-hmm. it. Uh, first of all, do you think you have a good plan? I think most city councilmen have told me they do. But do you think that uh, the city is following that that comprehensive plan that was laid out a few years ago? I think largely uh, people are following the plan. Um, yet I would add that, and I think you know, I was involved with two subgroups um, of bringing about that comprehensive plan. And um, I think where I say uh, generally, uh, you know, I think it it should be looked at as a guide and not the master development plan for the city. And I say that because there are a number of areas that were, you know, key nodes that we knew required more review, more analysis to decide what may you know, happen in the future in those areas. And I think, honestly, the revisiting of that plan to further now consider what uses, what sort of, um, you know, say, architectural standards we may want to see there uh, is required. But I, I do think that there were areas throughout the city or areas that were to be included in the city that uh, hadn't yet uh, gotten full consideration. So I think to for people to say, well, it's, it's not planned for in the comprehensive plan, to me, that was always understood. Um, I think it was to serve as a guide, and there could be changes to areas um, where it's justified, but there has to be reasons for that. Yeah, many uh, people I've talked to in other cities, for example, have said that the comprehensive plan is there because you want to follow that if you can, but if someone comes up with an idea that is not consistent with that comprehensive plan, you want to ask yourself, is there a compelling reason to depart from it? And there have been some occasions when that's happened here. Absolutely. I think that's well said. Uh, the city um, is uh, on well, – I'm going to ask this in form of a question instead of a statement uh, – Infrastructure is very big because the city has been growing greatly. I mean, I, when I moved here in 1991, we had less than 10,000 people. And the town of Fishers, 
Now we're well over 92,000. We'll know next year with the, mm-hmm. with the census. Uh, we'll know what the exact body count is. But do you think that the city, as it grows, has the city kept up with the infrastructure that's needed? And infrastructure takes in a huge number of things. It takes in roads. It takes in utilities. So in your view, and you've been at this for a few years now, what, what do you think about the city's uh, status as far as the uh, infrastructure of the city? I think generally we have done a good job keeping up with it. And, you know, it does, it starts with, you know, basic road maintenance and improvements. And, you know, honestly, I think anyone would admit if you don't have to go far south of Fishers in Hamilton County to really notice a difference in the road quality. Uh, it's not to be said that, you know, we have perfect roads and at any uh, stretch, but, you know, it is certainly noticeable how much better maintained our roads are in Fishers than uh, down in Indianapolis. And and we're thankful for that. You know, clearly, uh, we did pass the wheel tax, which has helped because it dedicated additional monies to to keep up with that. And I think that's a big part of, you know, our responsibility to make sure that we are keeping pace with, you know, reinvestment and and that infrastructure. Uh, You're right, it, it includes utilities. But I think for most people, they probably recognize road improvements. You know, I think the area that that is going to require, and I'm a, a strong proponent for this, uh, additional review and, and investment is uh, to to keep up with the capacity needs for us in Fishers. And, and certainly I'll use the 37 uh, improvements as a good example that we decided that we as fishers would invest with the state for the really, in my mind, long needed improvements. Um, and I'm sensitive to the the effect of the construction on the businesses. But yet, I mean, as I say, I, I can speak personally, but I, I can make a pretty strong case that people were avoiding that area because of the congestion. So that's a that's a big improvement. But certainly 116th Street is another, you know, probably if not the major one of the major uh, thoroughfares we have in the city. So what east-west traffic uh, is maintained and, you know, that throughput is going to be important as we go forward. Now, when you say throughput, what do you mean by that? Well, just uh, the ability for people to drive through, um, you know, at a reasonable pace. And I I don't think it's uh, necessary for people to drive through our downtown, uh, you know, municipal drive in 116th Street intersection at 45 miles per hour um, because there are necessary speed limits that have to be maintained, but that there aren't excessive delays, you know, for turning movements and other things. Well, the, I've been hearing a lot about a 116th Street because it has become one of the major thoroughfares in the city. It goes right by City Hall and the municipal complex in which the library is a part of that where we are right now. It's where your place of business is located. You're in the Braden Building now. So there are times of the day during the week when it is very difficult to traverse 116th Street. Is there an answer to that infrastructure question? You're right. Um, I would um – classify some of the problems by the area along 116th Street. And, and, you know, unfortunately, I think the west side there at Allisonville Road and 116th Street is probably one of the worst intersections in the city. We've recognized that. We have now uh, gotten approval for making improvements there at 116th Street in Allisonville. 
Um, I know that you know roundabouts were considered or a roundabout was considered, but I think ultimately now the plan is to have like double left movements created, um, you know, to allow for. I think that's part of the problem is when people start to make turning movements that that creates delays and the stacking of the, the stacking. Cars, that's yeah. right, particularly that, heading to, toward the south. Certain times that you know, I've I've been at that intersection enough to know. So uh, I do know that there is uh, there is a plan to do improvements there, which should be started, I think, next year. The I, that's my understanding. Years. Yeah. So that'll be good. But I think uh, as you go east, um, even though traffic is heavy through the downtown, across the interstate I-69, and then east uh, to Cumberland Road, it really moves pretty well, honestly. I mean, they, they've done a good job, and I say they, the engineering department and, and public works, about synchronizing signals so that it moves traffic at the peak times. There's a priority placed on 116th Street. Um, but again, uh, certainly there are growing businesses and, and more around the area. So I think we'll be looking at some other ways in which to improve that. I am certainly a, a proponent for that. Now, you talked about what the city has done. For instance, uh, the uh, the wheel tax was a way to try to get ahead of some of the road problems, not just the thoroughfares, but even into the neighborhoods to make sure that there's road resurfacing with a shorter time span in between the resurfacings. But, you know, the city has has been attacked for raising property tax rates for several years in a row. So when you hear that criticism, how do you respond? Well, um, first of all, I, I don't think it's excessive. We are still one of the lowest taxed municipalities uh, throughout the state, and, and we compare ourselves so favorably with many others. Um, I would also add that, I mean, we are extremely sensitive. I know I am sensitive about any tax increase. Um, but when I measure, you know, what quality of life improvements we, we've made and, you know, the necessary things that we're doing, such as road improvements and other things, uh, you know, it's justified in my mind. Um, we look at any sort of possible uh, tax increase very seriously, but um, I, I consider what we've done to be minor in, in comparison, but also uh, something that I feel justified when I look at the benefits that we receive as a community. And there's a decision to be made. Well, the mayor has uh, put together a budget, which he'll be voting on shortly after this this interview. And and one reason he did make that, I think it's two cents per hundred dollars evaluation, a mm-hmm. property tax increase on the rate for next year. And the rate, it's a little complicated. There are deductions and so forth, but that's just a general way to describe it. Uh, when you, he's saying he, that needs to be done next year to avoid borrowing money in a bond issue to to do some major projects. So when you look at a situation where you could bond for it, where you pay it off over a period of time, and interest rates are still pretty mm-hmm. low, particularly for a municipality, mm-hmm. which, uh, which has a very low interest, you're almost getting the money for free, as opposed to trying to pay for it right now, which is what the argument is for next year's tax increase. How do you evaluate a situation like that as an individual councilman? Well, of course, you know, I am not on the finance committee and um, probably don't get into the level of review that the finance committee does with with the budget, with the mayor and the various departments. Um, But I I do think there is a balance between, you know, what is spent currently, if you will, and then what may be bonded for and paid out out over time, the improvements. And and I think we do a really good job of balancing that. You know, our overall debt load with bonds – 
is so small in relative comparison to Carmel. I think we're $350 million of total debt, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's in that neighborhood, yes. Yeah. Um, and I believe Carmel is like $1.35 or $1.4 billion. That's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, and we are comparable sized. I mean, roughly 92, 93,000. Uh, in each Carmel and Fishers. So I think we've done a good job balancing that. Um, I also know uh, that there were things like uh, the two fire stations that were bonded for, and uh, the intention is to pay for those over a 10-year, a shorter uh, amortization period. Obviously, it, it raises the payment, which adds to our, our budget. But, um, you know, that to me is a good example of maybe maybe not looking at, you know, stretching the payments over a 20-year period, but looking at something that's manageable um, and in line with what we can do reasonably. You also serve on the City Plan Commission. You may not be in a finance committee, but you spend a lot of time on the Plan Commission. Uh, I think it's, what, 11 members? Something like that. I think you're right. And uh, you and Pete Peterson and Brad DeRemer as city council members sit on the Plan Commission. It's an advisory plan commission, and, and, and a lot of the developments come to you and and some of the changes or proposed changes and ordinances and so forth that affect the, the planning uh, ahead for the city in terms of of, of projects and, and commercial and, and others. So uh, there was one – I try to go when I can. Uh, plan commission sometimes – You're pretty good, hard. Larry. I, I try to make it when I can. I can't make every one, obviously. Uh, but I'm, uh, I, it's a fascinating place because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you have uh, legally required public hearings, although you sometimes do allow comments even though the law doesn't require it. It's really kind of your uh, role as the council president as to whether you want to allow that or not. But the reason I bring all this up is that there was one moment at a city planning commission, and, and the issue had to do with developers and their responsibilities uh, – with HOAs, when does the developer's responsibility stop and the HOA begin? There was some there was some discussion about that at one of the plan commission meetings, mm-hmm. and Councilman Dreamer said at that meeting that it was his perception of people in his district saying he they think they tell him, and he was clear to say this is what he's hearing. It's not what he's saying that developers run the city. Yeah, I think you remember that. Mm-hmm. I do. There. Um, wasn't much comment from anybody else. The kind of comment just kind of hung, and and and, uh, and the meeting went on. But as someone who's involved in real estate yourself and have been for a very long time, if a member of the public would ask you that, uh, do you think that the developers have too much of an impact in city decisions? For example, as I think Brad Dreamer was saying, he's hearing from his constituents. How do you respond to an argument like that? Well, it's tough because I know I know people have perceptions, um, but I I believe I have some direct experience, and and I'll go back in history with my own experiences developing in Fishers, and um, you know m- the point to this is that um, with the comprehensive plan, with I think what is now a more considerate review of of what projects are being planned. Honestly, I would have labeled what occurred, uh, well, say from the 90s to the 2000s. And I, as I said, I had experience in doing multiple commercial projects, multiple residential and commercial projects in Fishers. And my experience would be that we as a, a community, that as a municipality at the town at the time, somewhat reacted to the development plans that were presented uh, before us. Um, And 
it was difficult as a developer because you never knew what was going to be supported if a rezone was required or you know ultimately how it fit in. There wasn't the comprehensive plan in place to serve as a guide. Uh, furthermore, uh, planning staff really was accountable to the council. Um, and, you know, you didn't have a mayor at that time that helped, uh, you know, let's say, uh, facilitate those discussions. Um, and, you know, in a lot of cases, as you know, the mayor is on the lead of economic development efforts for recruiting businesses who are considering relocation. Um, so consequently, it was a arduous and, you know, somewhat difficult path to navigate uh, back in those 90s, 2000s. And, um, you know, thankfully, and I think what's happened is that we as a city have gained more control uh, over the recent past and recent past being probably the last five to eight, nine years where now we have a comprehensive plan. Now we have a mayor in charge. And I think the reality is, all developers <laughs> have their own interests at heart, but yet, you know, the city has its own interests that it can um, try and put forth and, and, you know, weave into the plan. And I think it's it's serving well. Um, you know, I, I really honestly don't believe that the, the developers run the city. I don't believe there's any undue influence in the decisions that, that are made. Um, and, you know, I haven't had an active role in what's in, in development in Fishers uh, for some time. Uh, indirectly, I talk with a lot of people because I know people in the business. And I suppose because we know each other and maybe my role on planning commission and, and otherwise, um, you know, I, I feel like I can speak with, um, you know, some level of knowledge that um, is, is beyond um, – you know, or what they may be used to talking to city officials about. But by the same token, I respect that the planners that may be involved, the mayor and others have a, a pretty large say in what happens. So, yeah, the uh, I, I'm looking back in that when I moved to Fishers, the 90s and the 2000s, what I remember is that uh, that was one set of rules. If you had lots of rooftops, you could pay for your city and you pay for police. You can do the infrastructure that that paid for your city. Then uh, things change, and I don't I, because it happened so long ago. I don't think we all talk about it very much. You know, Mitch Daniels and the Indiana Legislature decided to put property tax caps in. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad idea, but it completely changed the rules as to how cities and towns finance things. And now, without commercial development, it's very hard to keep your budget in balance. So, do you think that's part of the equation here. Oh, I, th I absolutely think it is. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. I love Mitch Daniels, but um, as a commercial property owner, when the tax law changes came into effect, it was hard to manage. It basically shifted that tax burden more to the commercial uh, property owners to, you know, being that responsibility. But then if you look at us as a community, it's absolutely necessary that we have that sustainable commercial tax base. And so that's been a big driver and, and you know, emphasis for us. But I think it's going to allow for fishers to be so sustainable as we go forward. Uh, you may know, Plainfield, with all of its industrial growth that occurred, what probably in the 80s, starting in the 80s, a lot of those were incentivized with 10-year uh, tax abatements, longer-term tax abatements. They now have a, uh, <laughs> an, a, a, a 
AV value that is assess value. Yes, assess value that provides them tremendous cash. I've heard again. I have not seen their financials. They they are you know so strong financially. So I think that's part of what we hope for us in in, in Fishers. I want to move on to another issue if I can. But the city has recently been attacked on this whole issue of transparency. I know you and Eric Moeller, he's the council vice president. You've had a series of Council Connect meetings. I've been to most of them. Can't make them all, but I went to a a large number of them. And uh, except for one, I think an assisted living uh, place where where you kind of had a captive audience, um, they have not been terribly well attended. Uh, That's an understatement, Larry. I'm trying to be (laughs) kind here. They have not been uh, well attended. Um, So I guess when you look at that and you, you, you try to get people to come and they really don't seem to respond... Let me ask this from another direction. What responsibility, if any, does the city have not to ask people to come to them but to go out to people? And there are various ways you can do that with focus groups and, and surveys and, and and going to the people and asking them what they think. Do you think the city has a responsibility to be proactive in finding out what the public wants and what how they're reacting to what the city may or may not be doing? Uh, yes, to a degree. I mean, but I think that um, the level of engagement and the level of effort to communicate, I mean, you know, can take a lot of different forms, right? And, um, you know, I think part of the reason we set up those Council Connect meetings was to, you know, allow for engagement, allow for communication. And, and we recognize that's just one element of the communication. The other thing that was instituted, as you know, uh, is the uh, what's it called? The uh, open forum or the um, citizens uh, uh, communication period during the council meeting. Well, that's right. You were the one. Were you the one that implemented? I can't that? remember. I think, I think it, it may. Todd, it might have been Todd. Todd I think. Zimmerman, where uh, anybody can speak for three minutes at the end of the, uh, the council meeting on, on any subject. On any subject, yeah. and so it, it. And I think you know there have been people that have come. I, mean, I would say we average maybe two or three, you know, at each meeting that bring up various issues, and so I think that's another form. Uh, certainly, we're we're trying to reach out at HOA meetings and other. Um, you know, beyond that, you, there, you probably can all always go further with communication, but I, I guess the point is I consider myself, I mean, even when people reach out to me on any sort of subject, I try and help out. So, you know, when those questions are asked, I don't ignore them in, in most cases where I where I can, but by the same token, you know, it may involve a lot of different people, so it's not always appropriate for me to respond to. You've been involved in a lot of community organizations locally. The one that I first became familiar with that you were involved with, it was and is the Youth Mentoring Initiative. What drew you to that program? When I first learned about it, I was, uh, I think I was uh, brought into it by Darren Heil, the former uh, founder and and, uh, president, I guess, of of mentoring. But, um, you know, that, yes, that was one that, you know, I guess I felt uh, compelled because, I mean, its mission is to, in my mind, be proactive with, you know, some of the, the youth that have a need for some type of mentoring. And it could, you know, be for any reason, um, whether it's academics or just, you know, socially what, what might be happening. Um, but my first mentee that I had for, I think, three years um, was one. I'm, I'm not sure if I even shared this with you later, but he, he lost both his parents. I believe I met him once. Oh, fact, okay. Yeah. Did you? Great. Um, anyway, we still stay in touch, mm-hmm. and he's really gotten on a path that is terrific. I, I couldn't be more proud of him. Um, it was a relationship that really meant a lot to me, and I think to him. So that was that was neat. But you know, I've I've tried to be involved in the in the 
community in a lot of different ways. I was former president of HSC Sports for three years and involved there. And, you know, that's another great organization. We have so many good organizations and volunteers in the community. It's, I mean, it's really a big part of the fabric of Fishers, which is neat. I, when it comes to HSC Sports, I try to tell people I've lived in other cities where the, the Parks Department does all of that and having a nonprofit to provide all those sports programs for the youth locally, not just in the city of Fishers, but anybody who goes to HSC schools, which is a bigger mm. piece of the pie there. Uh, they are doing so much that the city would likely be doing and we'd be paying for as uh, taxpayers had had, had uh, HSC Sports not already been there and they've grown with the city. So we should uh, – I didn't know you've been president of HSC Sports. That's got to be a big job. So you have definitely uh, – I have. But, you know, I would say too that. The, the, the work – and you're right that HSC Sports does so much for the community. But it's, it's not without the partners of the schools who provide gym space and the parks department who provide the outdoor field. So it's very much a partnership. But, you know, had, let's say, the parks department be, be the group that would have then administered it, it would be a big job. Yes, <laughs> there are I, a lot of people involved. I've, I've lived in cities where they have great programs. Programs, but the city pays for for all those youth sports programs and so forth. One last thing I'll ask you about sure. that you've recently been involved with, and that's the Fifty Club. Yes. Um, you're still moving ahead with that. You started that with a small group of people. It's expanded. Tell us why you got involved with it and what you do. Well, uh, you know that's that's an organization that is intended to provide life and disability benefits to police officers and firefighters who are injured in the line of duty. Um, you, you, there are benefits that they receive through the state and other, but uh, this provides, you know, supplemental and really gap uh, coverage. And, there, you know, when there is a time of need, you know, God forbid that something occurs that's significant, but, you know, you, you want to make sure that they're well protected. What they do for us as a community on, as the first line is tremendous. And, you know, it's kind of interesting back to, you know, what strengths we have as a community. When people learn about that, uh, they are very, very supportive within the community. Um, what's happening now is I'm kind of transitioning out with Jim Ratliff, the founder, one of the founders with me, and uh, there are new members that are coming in to be on the board, which is great. And now we just need to keep reaching out to uh, get the recurring, you know, support from people. And so, you know, that that's always a fun part of it too. One last question. Sure. You've been through this drill before, so you know this question is coming. Uh, we're here at the end of the interview, so I just want you to tell me if you uh, run across a potential voter uh, in the city and in the entire city votes for an at-large council member, and they say, Mr. Block, I've looked at you, I've looked at your opponent, and and, and I've looked at the other candidates, and just in the last couple of minutes here, just, just tell me why I should vote for you. What would be your answer? Well, I guess I think I provide a, a, a voice of reason, um, a, a, a person that is independent-minded, but yet I think is sensitive to uh, the will of the people and also, uh, you know, the mayor and, and others, um, but not afraid to vote my conscience um, when I feel strongly about it. Um, and it's not to say that even if I may be ultimately voting along the lines of, you know, what is, let's say, the ultimate ordinance or as such that there hasn't been discussion before that that's helped shape it or like could be an economic development deal. Um, and I feel like I, I bring a pretty 
broad and diverse understanding of that through my business and real estate activities. And, you know, clearly, I think that's one of the reasons that I was asked to serve on the Planning Commission. So I do hope to serve one more time. I'm not saying never, but that's what I would expect would be the limit of my (laughs) public service. Rich Block is currently the president of the Fisher City Council. He's an incumbent Republican. He's running for another term for an at-large seat. So, Rich Block, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Larry. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area. So check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.